0: This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Well, it is uh, a joy to be here. I'm not used to preaching twice in the day, so it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. I don't know how Sonelli does that, man. Um, but it's a joy to be here. Uh, just real quick, in Folsom, we are renting a building. I don't know how much information, but I'll take just a couple minutes. We're renting from an existing church in an area that we want to be at. It's a, it's a very different church than we are. So, um, But anyway, we just want their building, right? And so they're very gracious to us, very gracious and kind. And so we rent from them. And so we meet on Sundays at 2 p.m. because obviously they have the morning. And so at that place, we've had as many as 40 people show. So that's encouraging to see people willing to come out at an odd time of day. You know, just the rhythm of life. 2 p.m. is not normal for us. But that's encouraging. Wednesdays we meet and have been for a year, and we'll have as many as 30, 40 there as well, of which two-thirds of our group are Slavics, so we have a lot of Russians and Ukrainians. And that's a dynamic that is uh, just growing in our midst, right? It's a blessing. I, I love that culture. I love those people. I am very blessed to be in the midst of that. And the challenge for them, is, as is mentioned in the prayer, and I just want to share with you because I know you'll pray, is for the Christians of both countries and just the dynamic of having your people being shot at by the family of a person on the pew. Right. It's just, it's real. It's very real. But they're battling their work. They understand the gospel and they want to be faithful to Christ. So if you just pray for them, that would be so awesome. And maybe some of these days I'll be able to bring some of my Ruskies with me and uh, they can say howdy. Um, my wife he's not here She loved to be, but by God's providence and grace, we took on a 17-year-old kid who uh, is really troubled and who's a good friend of my son who died a few months ago. And this person, this this girl, Layla, was living in a friend's car. um, And when we heard about it, my wife went and rescued her and brought her to my house. And so I have a daughter now. Right, <laughs> little Layla, she's Ukrainian too, man, so it's awesome. Um, but all that to say, pray for us, and my wife's not here because she had to take Layla, who doesn't drive to her work, she's really faithful to her job, and we're just trying to love her and gospelize her, and I would love to bring her here to see you guys. Um, I think that's all I have. Would you please turn to Matthew 28? Matthew 28. Matthew 28, obviously a very familiar passage to us, especially this church, and churches like this one, this is, this is your DNA, this is, this is who you are, so this is obviously nothing new, and I'm praying that God will give us fresh eyes to see an old passage, um, because you know how they say familiarity breeds contempt, and so we don't want to be of that, so I'm praying for us. Along with this text, I'm going to read 16 to 20, uh, 16 to 20 after that, I'm going to go to Acts chapter one and read uh, verse eight, just to make that connection, and then we'll go here. I, I hope to encourage us, as a result of this, that we will see that making disciples, church planting, is will be successful, and because God is powerful, it's God's plan, and His presence will guarantee it. Okay, so those three P's you got his power, you have his plan, and you have his presence, and hopefully it'll unfold as we go through here. Verse 16, Matthew 28, the Word of God says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then to go to Acts chapter 1, a very familiar verse 8, which is the promise of the power to do this. Verse 8 of Acts 1 He says, the Word of God says, But you, disciples there, will receive power when the Holy Spirit, we know from Acts 2, has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, my testifiers, both in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Notice, just real briefly, since we're there and we won't return here, it takes the Holy Spirit's power in order to do this, which tells me, apart from Him, it can't happen which tells you just how much power it takes to be a faithful witness for Jesus Christ in a world dominated by the evil one. Okay? So just an observation. Please go to Matthew 28, back to Matthew 28. Since the inception of the church, since that day, since that time, the church was and is yet to this day, because you are certainly in that line A community of born-again people who were and are taken up with the glory of Christ and a desire to spread His glory to the far ends of the world. This is God's desire for the church. This is our desire. By grace, we will accomplish this. This is what you people are accomplishing and still yet more. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but the choir needs to preach to sometimes. Missions is the sending... And the going out of Christ lovers, lovers of Christ, Christ followers, into places where Christ is not loved, followed, or worshipped. As John Piper said so rightly, missions happens because worship doesn't. Okay? And by God's grace, through the gospel preached, proclaimed, God converts them to be Christ lovers themselves. The church sends God saves and gathers them into another local church where that process continues and has been since Acts chapter 2. Okay? And you are, you are in a long line of those faithful people of God who have the heart of God to reach the world for the glory of Jesus Christ. And I am blessed. I, I've, I've failed. This is parentheses. I failed to thank you for your support of me and my family. I get many cards and letters since the, the death of my 19-year-old son, and I'm just, I just want you to know how much I appreciate that in my family, and you have been used by God to strengthen us and to give us resolve. Also, the support of this church for the church planting effort there in Folsom. I'm so blessed by this place and you, and your pastor is my absolute hero. Um, so I just want to say thank you. Okay, now I'm back here. Um, <laughs> I'm somewhere over here. Oh, the local church, yeah. Is, is, is to be always then about sending and going and planting new churches. That's, that is what we do. We don't need to come up with a new plan. Anytime you see a book in the Christian bookstore that says new, throw it away, man. New perspective of Paul. Are you kidding me? Right? New church planting schemes. Are you kidding me? Let's just stay with the old one. It worked pretty good, right? Um, this is the heart of God, planting churches, and how this is spread. This is the heart of God for the good of all people, for the good of lost sinners, for the glory of himself, okay? For the glory of himself. He's magnified in the salvation of sinners in the planting of churches. So he's very much behind that. Right? He's very much behind that. So then, the sending and the going and the power of the Holy Spirit is the work of the church. Now, in our main text here in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, I want us to look carefully at this, and, you, and may God give us fresh eyes to see this anew, and I want us to see from here a couple things. I, I want us to see what our lives are to be taken up with, Okay? And the motivation as to why it should be taken up with this command. In other words, what are we Christians to expend our lives in? Okay. I would say this, that what we're going to see here, how we will accomplish this is because the power of God is behind the making of disciples and the planting of churches. The making of disciples and planting churches is the plan of God.
1: And the presence of God
0: will assure you will stay faithful. Okay? That sounds like a win-win, right? So then, what are we to be about? This had to be certainly in the minds of these first apostles. Because as you know that our text is at the end of this book and it's obviously at the, at the end of the life of, earthly life of Christ where their king and their savior was crucified. This one whom they followed for three years roughly. They, they, they were with him almost every day. Heard him, saw him, blessed by him, corrected and rebuked by him. In all of life they were discipled by the king of kings. Right? And so now... He's crucified. They had come to believe His words, that He was the long-awaited Messiah King, that He would deliver His people from all their enemies and to establish God's kingdom. They believed that. They signed up for that. All their hopes were in this one person, Jesus of Nazareth. All their hopes, all their future blessings are all connected with this one person, but now, This one is arrested. He was wrongly tried. He was badly beaten. He was flogged. Finally, he was publicly crucified on a cross before their very eyes. They scattered like frightened sheep amongst wolves. They were were disillusioned. They were shocked and dismayed. They hid in the upper room behind locked, closed doors. What had happened? Were they lied to? Were they deceived? As the two on the road to Emmaus said to Christ unknowingly in Luke 24 verse 21, quote, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And now he's hanging on a cross.
1: Wow. And now he's in the grave. And now it's the third day.
0: What are we going to do? We just wasted three years of our life Oh, but guess what? Uh-huh. He ain't dead. He arose from the grave. He's alive. The tomb was open and he walked out of there. He left that tomb and appeared a few different times to his followers. You remember he walked through closed doors and said, Shalom. He said, here, stick your finger in here and stick your hand in my side and see that it is me. He did that to assure them that indeed he's very much alive. And in so being very much alive, all his promises are intact, all his promises are sure, all his promises are yes in Christ Jesus because he is alive. And now that he is alive, what are we to be about? The resurrected king gave his directions and orders to his first disciples to meet him up in Galilee on a mountain which is about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. Couple days trek. It's an effort to get there. Okay? And in verse 16, notice please, it says, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. Notice how it starts with but. So in contrast with verse 15, those who took the bribe, the bribe took the money in verse 15 to say that his disciples came and stole his body, in contrast with them, verse 16 is, but the 11 disciples, they went and proceeded up to Galilee. They obeyed his command. They obeyed his word. They went to this mountain. We don't know exactly the mountain. Perhaps it's the Mount of Transfiguration. We're not sure. But it's in Galilee. It's in the north. It takes a couple days to get there from the south. And so they make this long trip. It takes effort to go there, which shows their heart. They, it, he's worth it. He's worth the effort. And then verse 17, when they saw him, they
1: worshiped him. This is right.
0: This is the right response, isn't it? They did the same thing back in verse 9. Look what it says in verse 9. When they saw him in the first appearances after resurrection, verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. They grabbed hold of him because they didn't want him going anywhere, right? We saw you hang, we saw you buried, and now you're alive. You're not going anywhere without us, (laughs) right? That's love and affection. That's clinging to Christ. Do we love him like that? Disciples who are going to make disciples, they're going to love Christ like this. They're going to be worshipers, okay? Worship. Notice here in verse 617 of our text, but when they saw him, they worshiped him. They worshiped him. That's fascinating. Notice, please, Christ does not say, no, 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 get up. He does not reject their worship. He fully accepts their worship. Now that's interesting, especially to Jewish peoples. To worship anybody but Yahweh, to w- worship anybody but God is idolatry and sin. You remember even a holy angel in Revelation 22. The apostle John was so taken up with what he was shown, he fell down to worship the angel, and the angel immediately says, Hey, dude, get up. I am not God. Don't worship me. Worship God. I'm a fellow servant. Jesus never, ever rejected worship. Ever. You know why? Because he's God. <laughs> he's God. There's another text. You have people who don't like your Bible and say Jesus never claimed to be God. He didn't, he just right there, he did it again, right? He did nothing but claim to be God. What are you talking about? You know why? Because it's true, he is God. He's, he's accepting their worship on this mountain. They recognize who he is. They love him. They adore him. He accepts their worship because he is God. This here is the deity of the risen king. Some were doubtful. What a fascinating another evidence of the truthfulness of your Bible. You know why? Because the Bible does not paint the followers of Jesus as some people who just glide upon the ground and glow in the dark because they're so holy and have halos. No, some of the people there at the mountain who are gazing on the resurrected King Jesus are doubtful. Wow. You ever doubted God? are you perfect in faith? Exactly. So don't be too hard on these dudes. Right? But some were doubtful. But they're there. They're not unbelievers. It's like, help my unbelief. Right? And just remember the situation here. This is so many days after the resurrection. And they didn't. And so they're still like this. That's not a normal happening, by the way. Right? People raised from the dead. Like, man, here he is. And so... Verse 18, here comes this power of God on display, power of God made evident. Look at what it says in verse 18. This one whom they are worshiping, this one who is the resurrected king and in their presence, notice he approaches them, verse 18, and spoke to them. Please pay attention to the words. Don't read your Bible too fast. And I know you're familiar with this, but you know what? Read it like you've never read it before. Look at those verbs in verse 18. Jesus came up and spoke to them after it said some were doubtful. What's he doing? He's alleviating their doubt. It's grace. That is incredible grace. The God man resurrected approaches them, not to destroy them and rebuke them. He comes to alleviate their doubts and alleviate their fears. But he's going to sh- why? Because what he's going to reveal to them is his power. Because look at what it says in verse 18. And isn't it worth noting that this this is in Matthew, the first thing that the resurrected Jesus in this scene says? He says all of that tells you how important this is to Jesus Christ for you and I to understand. What does he want you to know? That he possesses all authority. Well, if he already did, get this, before this, this is redundant, this is not necessary, and Jesus is not about unnecessary words. So what is he saying here? This is something new to the God-man. Before his incarnation, in the, the triune councils, when he is God, second person, eternal son, he had all authority. He's God, yes? But Remember Philippians two, he laid that aside in order to take on flesh to become a man and walk among us, he left that privilege, he left the prerogatives of being God behind him and came and emptied himself by taking on humanity and he came and walked upon this planet not possessing all authority but he came as man. And through his perfect obedience, Philippians two tells us he earned this declaration. Through through obedience to death, death on a cross, God raised him and granted him the name which is above all names, which is to possess all authority. Okay? So this is new for the man Christ Jesus, not for the eternal son. It's a mystery I can't explain to you. (laughs) I'm just trying to understand this. So he says all authority. Notice how he says all authority. All means there's none beyond, there's none outside, there's none above. He's the top dog. He's the king of kings.
1: He possesses all authority. Why is he saying this?
0: To give them strength. To give them courage. To give them confidence. Because of what he's going to tell them to do in the next verse. Why would I listen to this guy? If he's not all authority, you know what could happen? Somebody who has more authority can come after him and change the plan. And I just wasted all my life. But because he has all authority, there's nobody coming along to change the plan of God. And what's that mean to me then? If I'm assured that the orders that I get are for the one who's the top dog, I can invest all of my life all of my energy into that which he commands me. Because ain't nobody coming to say, oh, by the way, he was wrong, and you need to go this way. Amen? Amen. I just need to know what daddy wants. I love mama, but she's got no more power than daddy. Daddy's top dog, right, in my house. (laughs) And I don't mean me as daddy, but when I was a kid daddy, (laughs) right, my dad determined everything. So it didn't matter what mom said. And I love mama, (laughs) but if mom said something, I would say, well, let me go talk to dad, (laughs) right? Same thing. He tells his disciples, I have all authority. There's nobody greater. There's nobody gonna come and change the plan. This is to give courage. This is to give confidence, man. And notice what he says. The realm of this authority, in case you're confused, is in heaven and on the earth. As far as the heaven is beyond the earth, he has authority. There is no king, no kingdom, no person on this planet that has more authority than Jesus Christ. Including Putin does not have more authority than Jesus Christ, or that dude in in Washington. <laughs> I'm honoring just the way I do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? There's no pope. There's no preacher. There's no politician. There's no king greater than Jesus Christ. Right now, he has all authority.
1: Isn't that glorious? He's my king. Is he your king?
0: Is he your king? He has all authority. You know what? There's no one in heaven Greater than my king. Oh. He says he has all authority in heaven.
1: And notice what else. How did he get the authority in verse
0: 18? Speak to me. Given to me. Everybody see that? This is kind of like a Slavic church. They don't say anything. I preach at a lot of Slavic churches, right? And they don't say anything. It's the culture, Right? Then I go to a Spanish church, it's awesome, <laughs> right? You gotta say, hey, no, wait a minute, let me preach. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you again, how did he get the authority? Given. It was given, who gave it to him? The father, get this, somebody greater had to give him the authority. Do you see what I'm saying? I could say, I'll give you my authority, Jesus. <laughs> he says, thanks, you're a peony, right? But if you're the top, if you're up here and you give authority, you see, so God the Father, the omnipotent, all-sovereign, gave authority to the resurrected God-man. And so in heaven, there is nobody greater than Jesus Christ, including the Father. Jesus is equal with the Father. Jesus chooses to submit to the Father and all the tr- inner Trinitarian workings, but are they not equal? Perfectly equal. So my point is, beloved, Jesus is here in resurrected person on this mountain talking to his disciples and some of them are doubtful and some of them are just grabbing them and worshiping. And he said, the first thing he says to all of them to alleviate all this trouble, he says, I have all authority in the heavens and on earth. There's none greater, none more powerful. I'm the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hold your finger here, please, just to say we went to a different passage. Go to Philippians 1. (laughs) The Apostle Paul was moved upon by the Spirit, and this was illumined to him. He came to learn this by inspiration not by hard study, right? It was given to the Apostle Paul to write down. He learned this from the Spirit of God because all scriptures God breathed, yeah? Look at chapter one of Ephesians. Look at verse 20. And he brought, he brought which he brought about in Christ, He's talking about strength and power in the previous verse, which he, follow now, God the Father is the first he brought about in Christ when He, God the Father, raised him Christ from the dead, seated him Christ at his God the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. 21. Far above all. notice, I love the word "all. You know what the Greek word all" means? All. Good. All rule. All authority, right? All power, all dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And then finally, verse 22, it says, And he put, God the Father, put all things in subjection under his, Christ's feet. And, there's our word again, gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church. Superlatives. It's, it's, it's giving, it's, it's revealing to us. You would not know this apart from divine revelation. This is what God wants us to know about Jesus Christ. There is no one, nothing greater than he is. Do we believe that? Amen.
1: Does my life show that? Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, why do you
0: call me Lord, Lord, and don't do as I say? That doesn't make sense. Oh, you're the greatest king of all, Lord, and I'm going to do my own thing. (laughs) You're schizo, right? Go back to wherever I was, uh,
1: Matthew (laughs) 28. I hope this is fruitful for us. I know you're familiar with all this stuff. But there's somebody here, I'm just going to pick, I did last time.
0: There's somebody here who's going to go to the far edge of the world somewhere. Because they believe the power of Christ will assure it, and the plan of God will assure it, and his presence will make sure you make it there in our faithful. Look at this. 18, all authority has been given not in the process, already done, to me in heaven and on earth so that he possesses all authority. Then in verse 19, do you see what he's doing here? This authority that he has, that he reveals, is to give the confidence that verse 19 should be obeyed. Also this, if verse 19, the command in verse 19, make disciples, that's the imperative, that's the command, okay? In your English, it looks like go, but that's actually not, okay? It's connected with making disciples, but it should be best translated like having gone, make disciples of all the nations, okay? So go is not a command, it's just assuming you're going to go, because you got the heart of God for the nations and you're going, so it just assumes that. And so while you're going to the nations, make disciples, okay? Disciples of who? Of Christ, not of me, not of you, but of Christ. Get this. Verse 18, 19, he says, Go, my new American standard, go, having gone, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. If that command is coming from someone who possesses all authority,
1: which tells me that the heart of Christ, is the salvation of the nations? Because
0: he can do whatever he wants, and this is his command. Go to the world and make disciples. Who's giving that command? Jesus Christ. What is that telling you? This is his heart. This is his passion. This is his commitment. He wants the world to be followers of him. And he wants you to go... Tell them. How do you make disciples? Right? Think of this. The people receiving this information is at least the 11, and there's other, it probably includes the 500 that 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about, but it's at least the 11, okay? 11 Jewish people who are called
1: disciples. I want you now to
0: go and make disciples of the nations. What would be the context in their mind about what it is to make a disciple? Do they have to go read a book about it? What do they know about discipling? It's what Jesus did with them, isn't it? They're disciples of Christ. Now you go make disciples. Okay, I'm going to go do to them what he did to me. That's what the context is. And what is it that Jesus, if you read the four gospels, what is it that Jesus Christ did with these men? He invested in them. He intentionally invested in them. He was with them all the time. You talk about patience, dude. He was with them all the time, teaching them God's word rebuking, correcting, encouraging. Get behind me, Satan. You don't speak the words of God. He came to to Matthew, a tax-collecting sinner, and says, follow me. And it was an expression of his desire for mercy and not sacrifice. He walked with them. He talked with them. I'm sure he prayed with them. He invested his life in them. It was life on life. Amen? Amen. Sometimes Western mindset's different. We think it's a classroom setting, period. You can use that, of course. It includes teaching, as verse 20 says, teaching them all that I commanded. So there is teaching, yes, indeed. But to have it merely in a Western civ mindset is different than what this is saying. Amen? It's one-on-one. It's one-on-four. It's teaching. It's teaching and and then walking with them on how to live out what you just taught them the practical implications of the gospel, the practical implications of what I commanded you. That's discipleship. This is what he's calling these Jewish men to go do to Gentiles. (laughs) You don't think it takes the Spirit of God to accomplish that, (laughs) right? All right, Jews, I want you to go to Saudi Arabia, (laughs) right? Iran's waiting for you, (laughs) right? Right? By the way, Ukrainians, Moscow's got an open door for you. Come and make disciples. No. But yet, we're called to that. Now, somebody mentioned my timing. Where did my friend go? He abandoned me. I'm, I've been left alone. <laughs> hey, you know what? Snooze, you lose, and the clock's slow. So here we go. Right. <laughs> Verse 19. Look what it says. Go, therefore, make disciples. Make disciples, make followers of all. Notice the word all again. You're going to see it four times in this passage. The one with all authority is saying to go to all the nations. No boundary lines. No one's excluded. The whole world is in the crosshairs of the King of Kings. From Taiwan and Burma to Montana, Canada, Alaska to Pleasant Hill. Yeah. We're to be taken up with this, beloved. Making disciples is his commitment, therefore it is our commitment. He has the power, that is all authority,
1: and this is his plan. Make disciples.
0: That's part of planting churches. In Folsom, we're trying to go into the, the neighborhoods, right? And expose them, confront them with the gospel of Christ, so that God would save some, gather them, and we can begin to disciple them and plant churches. Plant a church in Folsom and then to plant another one somewhere else. Yeah, that's what you guys are all about. That's a sign of
1: a healthy biblical church.
0: My question is what are you guys all doing here? Go out, go to the nations. Not Texas, Texas is beyond the nations, it's just (laughs) over the hill, right? And Idaho's full, so leave it alone. (laughs) And Montana's way too cold, man, so you're stuck here until you go to North Africa somewhere. Or they come to you. So then, go therefore make disciples, I'm wasting time here, I'm sorry. Um, How do we make disciples? In verse 19, we're baptizing them. Water baptism. Notice it's in the name singular of the triune God. We'll just leave that for other times. But this is to be identified with the triune God. Christian baptism is an identification, and immersion into the one true living God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who's to be baptized but those who repent and believe the gospel. This is implying then evangelism. This is implying the gospel. This is implying you're going forth with the message that saves, Romans 1.16. This is implying that, and you're baptizing them. But notice, you're not just baptizing them and saying, good, I'll see you in glory, and you walk off. Now the investment starts, man. Now, now your life investment starts. Now the power of God in your life is gonna allow you to invest your life into that person you just baptized. Because that's what it says in the next, look at verse 20. Making disciples is not only while you're going, but it's baptizing those who believe. I add in verse 20, you're teaching them whom you baptize. Teaching is a present tense. You're constantly, continually teaching. You're never not teaching. Teaching them what? To observe. That term is tereo. That's to guard. It's to preserve. Not just obey, keep my commandments, but it is to to obey that, with the idea of preserving the integrity of what has been commanded by your life, by your obedience. So it's, it speaks to my life. Christ is concerned about our lives. Think about this, a disciple is a follower. What are we following? If he's not here in person, what are we following? We're following his commands, we're following his word. And if everybody in all the nations, get this, by Jesus saying to teach them in verse 20, to observe all that I've commanded, that one command there of teaching them, you don't change it for this nation and this nation and this nation. You don't adjust it for the context of North Africa, and then you adjust it a little later down here for, uh, in the Philippines. Do you see what he's saying here? What I've commanded is relevant for every nation, everywhere, all the time.
1: You don't, you don't change it for a context. You preach it. You teach it.
0: You live it. Because this is what he says. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Notice you see the word all there again. So the one with all authority says to go to all the nations, and I want you to teach everything I've commanded. The whole counsel of God.
1: It's relevant for everybody. Isn't that great?
0: To the the end of verse 20 says, to the end of the age. Not Not only this first generation, but this generation right now, and the next one to whenever Jesus comes. Second coming is the end of this age. Right. Now, you have his power in verse 18. His authority is the motivation to go make disciples. That's his plan. He wants us to make followers of Christ. Take up your cross and follow me. He wants us to teach them that we baptize, constantly teaching them in every way, every form possible, and you want them to follow Christ because you're observing all that Christ has commanded. So from power to plan, my final is his presence. Do you see the promise at the, at the end of verse 20? What is the pr- what is the promise in verse 20? Speak to me. What is it? I am, I am with you. I don't know about you. If Christ promises something, I want to camp out on that thing, because He cannot not keep His promise. As soon as He breaks His promise, let me know, right? Then I'll quit following Him. Because if He breaks it one time, how do you know He's not going to break it a second time? He cannot lie. He cannot break His promise. He's the one with all authority. The devil cannot thwart the purpose of Christ. The devil is God's devil. Amen? You know what this says? The one with all authority whose plan is to make disciples, can anybody and anything stop that plan? So by saying that I have all authority, he is saying that my plan will be accomplished. And nobody can stop it. You and I, unfaithfulness can't stop it and the devil's trying to thwart it can't stop it. The sovereign Lord Jesus Christ will accomplish everything that he has planned and he's planned to make disciples of all the nations. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail because he has all authority. He will spread his glory to the far ends of the earth because he has the, glo- the power to do so. He will make followers From people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, Revelation 5, the scene in heaven shows the reality of this text. Amen? The scene in heaven shows the faithfulness of this power, this plan, and the presence, the promise in verse 20 to always be with you. Why does he say that?
1: To give confidence, to give courage. Why do I need his presence?
0: Because the nations to where you're going are dangerous. The nations to where you're going want to cut off your head because they hate Jesus Christ. They hate God. And you know what? They hate you because you represent the King. Did he not tell his disciples in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know what? It hated me first. If they persecuted you, it's only because they persecuted me and the slave is not above the master. Amen? First Peter 4, 12 says, don't be surprised at this fiery
1: ordeal. Why are we so knocked upside down? Because we're Twinkies. <laughs> we're Twinkies. He
0: promises his presence because there's going to be trouble. I mean, our Lord was crucified. <laughs> are, we, are we expecting anything less? Isn't it part of discipleship to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me? That's what he says. So you're going into nations that hate God, calling them to repent and follow your king. <laughs> and it may cost you your head. But don't worry. Christ is with you. Why else? Not only will we might be persecuted, but you know what? We need his presence because there's trials. There's tribulation, there's
1: affliction, there's suffering. There's dark waters that you never knew you would ever see. There's death of loved ones that will challenge your faith and your commitment to continue on.
0: His presence is given to alleviate doubts, to alleviate fear. He wants wants them and he wants us to know that I'm with you when you are being persecuted. I'm with you when you're suffering from cancer. I'm with you when people hate your guts and throw rocks at you. I'm with you even when they kill you.
1: His presence is to alleviate fear.
0: You have his power, you have his plan. And you have his presence. So you know what? Go make disciples. Go make disciples. If you move to Texas, do it to make disciples. Okay? Because contrary to what they think, not everybody there is saved. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I'm a bad dude. No, man, because God is with me. Right? My shepherd is with me. Listen to this one last and I'll leave you be. In Acts 18, the apostle Paul, of all people, I just think he's nine foot tall and bulletproof and never had any kind of doubts or fears, but he's a man like us. In Corinth, in Acts 18, listen to this right here. He says, and the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid.
1: But go on speaking. Do not be silent. The Apostle
0: Paul. For I am with you. You see, that phrase, I am with you, is used most through the scriptures to alleviate fear. It's the presence of Christ for your good, it's the presence of Christ for your comfort. He says, Don't fear, go on speaking, for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. That same God allowed Paul to lose his head a few years later. Was Christ not there too? Is Christ ever going to not be with you? Even when you're persecuted, even when you're suffering, even when you're martyred.
1: I don't know about you, that, that gives me a settled resolve. Amen.
0: So let's go make disciples, blood. Let's go.
1: Let's pray. I guess first.